Welcome to a podcast on fire and the second and last part of our interview with actress, martial artist and stunt woman Sophia Crawford. In short, this episode, this part, this concluding part contains the journey concerning Sophia leaving Asia for America, uh, how she found her footing in her career in the West and how this attitude and drive led Sophia to Power Rangers and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But... I'm going to rattle off some quick contact information before I'm going to be, by the way, if you didn't know. And we are located on podcastonfire.com. Podcast on Fire, that is the anchor show of the network, covering Hong Kong cinema new and old, but also we have interview segments every now and again, and uh, this is one of them. And uh, if you want to check out any of our other shows, uh, we do episodes and shows on Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Sleazy cinema. We do bonus episodes every now and again and commentaries and what have you. So we hope that there's something for you that you like. If you're a first-time listener and listening to this interview, thank you very much for your support. And I hope you stay and uh, let us know what you think. You can do so over on podcast on fire's uh, email address podcast on fire at googlemail.com but uh, we also are active on social media if you click the handy facebook button at the top of our website that will lead you to our page and we will very much appreciate a like in support and if you want to interact with us uh, join the discussion group that's called podcast on fire network where we provide most of the show updates and discussion is available there as well we're all a friendly bunch so welcome in and share your view on Asian movies and if you have any views on the shows we would very much like to hear them click the Twitter button to reach our Twitter feed, click the iTunes button to subscribe to the Podcast on Fire Network feed or any other individual feeds for the network shows and uh, while you're on iTunes leave a star rating uh, good or bad, we'd like uh, we'd like some honesty over there and if you have the time please leave a small written comment, we would very much appreciate it, uh, we would love to hear from you I write about a variety of Hong Kong and um, Taiwanese movies over on SoGoodReviews.com. I review movies in video form, basic spoken audio reviews over movie clips. That is located on the hub that's called SleazyKVideo.com. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. So I'm going to let you enjoy the remainder of the chat and I'll be back afterwards to say goodbye. And if you like this interview... Um, and these interviews uh, hit me up with suggestions, any comments you might have, uh, what is good, what is bad, and so forth. But in the meantime, this is me and Sophia Crawford again. In a way, I think it was very advantageous for us to speak twice Sophia because I got a better sense of the driven person that you are during the first session and that's always to me admirable and inspiring so and and therefore we we continue with that chapter that's about concluding the east and leaving for the west so so if if we simplify it how did it feel doing leaving the east versus when you entered the east because now you had experience knowledge a resume and a confirmation within you that you made the right choice going into Asia and Hong Kong. But how, how did it feel leaving uh, as such? Well, um, I was slightly nervous anticipating just what could happen. I wasn't sure, you know, I mean, again, you know, I was 
coming to America not very, knowing really very many people, I had talked to uh, one of the cameramen that was working on a documentary with me and he said to me you know if you ever come over to America you can stay in my guest house and I just took that as an immediate invitation (laughs) before he knew it I was like I was calling him up saying oh by the way I'm I'm going to take you up on your offer and I'm going I'm on my way (laughs) (laughs) you know how sometimes people throw that offer out and they're like oh I'll never hear from her but oh no no I followed up on it so (laughs) You know, again, you know, it's like you, you're stepping off the deep end. I didn't know how, how things would turn out. I don't know. I didn't know if I would maybe be going back to London or, you know, but you just got to give it a shot. And I said, well, I've just got to give it a shot. Um, this is where I'm at right now. And um, so I headed out to America. And actually things unfolded for me quite quickly. And only because I had managed to build a resume and got some experience in Hong Kong. I can't imagine how difficult it might have been for me coming in very new. Um, So I did at least have that to my advantage, and I was very grateful of that um, because it enabled me to get an agent almost immediately. And with my agent, he petitioned for my green card because that was the first step was to make sure that I was a legal and so I had to go the very the first year I was going through the steps of my my visa and getting my green card and and all the, that kind of thing. But within that first year, I was working on um, I got my you know I worked on um, my first job. I think was uh, Kung Fu. The legend right continues as a, as a guest star, and it was that was a magical experience. A because I was shooting in Toronto. And that was where my father was born. And oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And I've never been to Canada at that point. So here I was on my very first job in America, going on location up to Toronto, right where my father was born. And so I took the first thing I did when I got there was take a taxi to my father's home where he was born and had a little drive around it so I could see where he was born and, and brought up. So that was lovely. And then working on the show, I was working as an actress and I got the royal treatment. You know, everybody was very 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 nice to me and um i worked with mike vendrell was the first coordinator that i worked with and it was funny because i was hired as an actress and he came over to me and i was carrying a big heavy bag and he looked at my bag and said what's that and i said well it's my stunt bag he said you've got a stunt bag what I said, yeah, of course. So he was like delighted, you know, and then we started doing the choreography and he was like, oh, well, this is cool. So he was absolutely adorable, man. He's since passed, um, but had great experience working on Kung Fu with Chris and I played his love interest and I was actually Patrick, I was Patrick McNee's daughter. And I was, so I got to work with legends, uh, Patrick McNee and Robert Vaughan, who I'd watched growing up. And I was like in awe and of them. And they were um, super nice. And initially this this um, episode that we did was supposed to be a sort of a pilot for a spinoff for a series for myself, Patrick, Robert Vaughan. We were going to be doing a, a series with the uh, Dragon's Wing but unfortunately, um, Kung Fu got cancelled right at that time. And then they decided that they weren't going to do a, a spin-off. So that that ended. But nevertheless, it was a wonderful experience for me. How was it, by the way, to uh, be represented after having 
have to deal with that in Hong Kong all by yourself and chasing the money? Was it all of a sudden, I'm on vacation. This is awesome. It was lovely. You know, I, I don't like negotiating money. It's the last thing I want to talk about. So having somebody that could negotiate a fee for me was a dream because you know for me i'm just be like well, yeah whatever what, when do you want me to be there you know mm-hmm. um <laughs> but my agent you know he he was great initially I, I i did that and a couple of other projects i worked on sort of honor which was just a low budget um film for pm entertainment at the time um starring stephen lee and then um i think wmac masters came around uh, around that time and that was the live action children's show on fox uh, i played a character called chameleon alongside um a whole troupe of fantastic martial artists everybody on the show was a martial artist and it was a very colorful show um fun show for children on saturday mornings for fox and it did quite well you know for, I think we did a couple of seasons, maybe three. It's, it's like a, it's like a spectrum of um, entertainment that you've been involved in, uh, you know, mm-hmm. because the action movies obviously aren't for kids, and uh, now things start to fall in place where you are able to expand and also, sh- you know, sh- showcase yourself to a bigger audience uh, uh, in general because you're working in the West, but also work working in a, a kids show. I mean, I don't know if it felt like. Uh, the work was spread out and you were struggling as such but but to me it sounds like things are falling into place based on work ethic maybe a little bit of luck but um it 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 does seem like like there was a flow of some kind yeah it was just being in the right place at the right time essentially being you know working in the preparation prior and and all of these things falling into place at the right time but things did change slightly for me once I once I came on to Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, because then I became more. I was a stunt double then, and and not an actress, and so that changed my position slightly when I was work with, with my agent, who sort of no longer wanted to send me out on auditions because my stunt resume was in actually beginning to hurt me from getting um, auditions for acting roles. It must have been a constant gig uh, being on the Power Rangers because they they ran for a few seasons even after uh, even after you left the show. But it must have been a constant gig, or does these things only last a, f- a few months per per season? Because seasons were big by, uh, back in those days. Nowadays, television seasons are ten, twelve episodes. Back then, they squeezed out these twenty, twenty five episode seasons. So. Yeah, we did like 22, but um, Power Rangers was different because they were shooting like two episodes a week. I mean, we were doing like, I don't know, 60 episodes or so a season or something. And, um, so actually we were doing lot tons of episodes and the work was daily. I mean, this was, you know, five days a week, four days, fighting every single day. Um, so it was, you know, a, a very much a full-time job for quite a long period. Having said that, it was <laughs> it was it was one of those jobs because I guess because we we were all you know so young and we we had masks on and we were separate. Second unit was separated from first unit, mm-hmm. so all we did have to do was uh, shoot the action. So there wasn't really much downtime in between where you know we would have the actors come in and maybe do a few lines here and there but it wasn't just it wasn't mixed with first unit so it wasn't like we'd have hours and hours to sit around and wait while they while the actors completed their scenes Mm -hmm. and then we would fight 
all we did was just fight all day long. And that's how they were able to uh, accomplish so much in such little time. And, um, you know, and that's when I first started working with Jeff, um, my husband, and and that experience was great. We were just friends at that time. And we were, you know, we didn't actually start dating until we went to Australia to shoot the first movie for for Power Rangers, and then we started dating. <laughs> <laughs> well, were you ever into, by the way, that type of Japanese uh, entertainment that Power Rangers obviously was uh, the tokusatsu entertainment with uh, you know, big robots and their ro- and their buildings being smashed and all of that? Was that ever your thing before or um, during or after Power Rangers? No, 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 not not at all. You know, sorry to say, but no. I've never <laughs> never really been into into that. I'm very much a fan of you know, hardcore modern action, you know, Hong mm. Kong style, absolutely. But I like things to, you know, a bit more hard edge and rougher, you know. And basically with Power Rangers, it was, since it was a children's show, we had to be really careful with the violence. And and so it had to be kind of animated, cartoony, gymnastics, lots of flipping and no head hits. And, and so it had to be, we had to be careful about not um, upsetting parents because at that time there was this thing going on where they felt that, you know, some parents were saying that, that the Power Ranger thing was um, in, in Britain. It, there's been some sort of, you know, fighting or something and they felt that it was um, a bad influence and violent for kids. Whereas, you know, so it wasn't, that's why we had to be really careful because it was a children's show to make sure that it was, it was light and fun and entertaining and non-violent. So, but it was really, really, really a good time. I have to say, I've never felt so relaxed working on a, on a show that I, then I did with, you know, the stunt, the stunt team there, all of us just really, 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 really did have fun and um, enjoyed it. And I, and I, say that very sincerely because yeah, sometimes when you're working on a show it can be stressful you know working long hours working a long nights or whatever and people get tired and but this show you know there were no nights it was just very you you go in start early in the morning and you finish in the evening so was that um either before or during power rangers what was it there uh, versus hong kong oddly restrictive working now in an environment that had more rules regulations a union and uh, obviously not not uh, crafting as much on-screen violence as you just described you know actually at that time power rangers was non-union and i was still non-union i didn't get my sag card until after power rangers when i worked on uh, fair game which was a movie i did with um you know cindy crawford and um, who was it? The Baldwin brother. You know, at that time it was uh, a non-union show. There, I mean, as far as restrictions were concerned, it was only in the fact that you know, no hits to the head. Everything else was fair game. It was a very, you know, Jeff created some really good, good, good fun action that was um, really fun to perform. You know, we, there weren't that many restrictions really. Yeah, because I'm thinking. Uh... Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it last time. So someone coming from the West to work in Hong Kong, it might be quite a shock in if you worked at that time in Hong Kong in the 80s and 90s, how different they do it and how reckless it seems like. And uh, and uh, But you went the other way, obviously, ha- having uh, acquired this knowledge and feel for what they do so well and what 
how how it can hurt <laughs> working in Hong Kong. Obviously, you've been uh, at the receiving end of some of that. So, uh, but 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 the transition seems like it uh, it was uh, smooth when all was said and done. And perhaps perhaps it's a blessing to work in a movie or TV making world that is that has proper rules and regulations when all is said and done and not everybody's going home all the time maybe that's a blessing when all is said and done sure you know i mean i was very happy when i did eventually get my sag card and stuff obviously because you earn better money the non-union wages at that time were pretty poor so you know regardless it paid the bills and i was very thankful you know it didn't didn't matter to me (laughs) Does one need to have many irons in the fire despite having a job like that? Uh, or are you that kind of person that doesn't look at a gig as a certain thing and need to prepare yourself somewhat to for the future by acquiring other skills or evolving your skills uh, uh, offset and all of that? Are you that kind of person that thinks of the future despite having a current gig? Oh, yeah. I mean, you always do. You know, you know that one of the things about working in the entertainment business is the fact that, you know, your job, it, it's here today, gone tomorrow. And even if you're hired on a job and, you know, and it, you're thinking uh, uh, like in a TV series, you never know how long that series is going to go. You never know if somebody's you're going to be replaced or the coordinator is going to be replaced. And then therefore, this new coordinator will bring in their people and then you'll be replaced. You know, anything can happen. So so you're essentially always looking for or that next job or you're never sort of married to a job or you never sort of go, oh, this is this job and I'm going to have this forever. No, you can't really think like that because anything can happen in the business you don't know you know from one minute to the next whether you're actually going to stay on this job or not you hope that you do you hope that it lasts for a long time because obviously consistent work is nice to have a regular paycheck but it doesn't always work like that there's ebbs and flows you know sometimes it's a little quieter and then other times you're very very busy yeah i've heard that story often uh hearing interviews or listening to interviews with um, with Hong Kong actors that talk of that they're and, and they might not be leading actors per se but they're, they're supporting actors comedic actors and they talk of the fact that they have they have a day job too because mm-hmm. this industry is not something you can rely on 100% I remember the comedy actor Billy Lau was actually an optician in real life <laughs> too so he was working in comedy movies and doing that uh, as a main job or on the side so uh I, I guess that holds true for the West as well, that um, you uh, you can't just put your f- uh, feet up and um, think you got it made all the time. No, no, you can't, you can't be complacent, you know, it's, it, it, it's, um, the tides change. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you least expect it. <laughs> if we jump ahead to, uh, to Buffy, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was uh, quite a run of, um, of doubling and uh, fighting and even as a non-watcher because I didn't watch it at the time but I knew it was a juggernaut I know I knew it had this main show I knew it had one at least one spin-off maybe two spin-offs but for for you can, can you look back on this and say that Buffy was one of the life changers if not the life changers personally and professionally because it was a constant gig for was it three or four seasons you're on it yeah, no, Buffy for me, it was, um, I worked on it for four, four years, four seasons, and probably is one of, it is the best job I ever had in my career. Um, mostly, I guess, for, for a variety of reasons, I, I, um, I just got to, to, to fight an awful lot and very, very consistently. 
it was a very it was a well-written show it with all the actors were incredible and i really liked reading the scripts you know i was one the first show that i actually got to read the scripts you know must have been different aside from the acting gigs that i had worked on but the stunt show you know i don't didn't usually get to read all the scripts and stuff so i got to read all the scripts and just the actors were very lovely um and again, I was working with Jeff and I always enjoy working with him. And it was just, a, uh, it was a consistency of the show and the, and the quality of the show was good. And I was proud of that, you know, and in our efforts, because at that time working in TV, you kind of, you kind of had to push mm-hmm. to get the screen time for that, for the action you know, um, some people wanted to just, you know, okay, we've got a fight, let's do one or two hits, call it a day and move on. But Jeff and I were very, you know, kind of adamant, we wanted really good, it was great quality show. So we wanted good action. And that meant, you know, pushing a little bit more to try to get more time with the action and have um, more on screen. So, and bit by bit, we did that. And by third season or so, I think we were at a pretty good, you know, doing some pretty good uh, work. And um, it was just, it was hard. I mean, of course, you know, when you're fighting five days a week, for nine months out of the year, you literally got bruise on top of bruise on wow. top of if you break a bone, you've got to keep going. I mean, you know, you just you just got you got to push your way through it. I didn't have there weren't weren't any other doubles at that time. Initially, there was a couple of doubles, but then Joss Whedon decided that there was a certain look that he wanted fighting, and so he's uh, he um essentially gave me an exclusive contract to work on the show and I couldn't work on anything else. And I was very happy to do that. That's um, I don't know if that's a rarity or not, but what a, you know, you worked up trust and showcased your, you know, professional uh, professionalism and uh, quality as a performer and to, to get that confirmation through such hard work on the show and prior must must feel really good. Plus your, I, 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 I also read that you, you genuinely that like you, you wanted to invest in the storyline you know you didn't just glance to, to towards the action bits in the script like you you engage yourself in the in the arc in the storyline as well so that must have been uh, a major confirmation on all levels yes it was nice to be included <laughs> <laughs> you know i have so many fond memories of working with the stunt team there and because we had to you know we brought in a lot of people on that show and um so many of my my friends and stuff, you know, I got to work with on that. And then we, we gave, we got a lot of, gave a lot of work to some of the performers here at that time. It was a very, very busy show, very active show. For, for, for any listeners who do not know, and I, I don't quite, uh, I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs of a set. So if you don't mind to give a little insight into how, you know, when you're on a show as, as stunt and fight double, if you will, what's the process in terms of who do you work closest to and other lengthy rehearsal and previous for for fights or tv mo- tv world moves way faster than that so you can't have uh, tons of prep in terms of uh, rehearsal and previous um no there was never a, a lot of time for rehearsals being television and i always referred to my boss which was the stunt coordinator and basically he would come in maybe a couple of hours prior to 
uh, camera and call time and we would um, do a little rehearsal, the stunt guys or girls who whoever we were fighting with, Jeff would choreograph the action and then we'd walk through it a few times and then we'd go to hair and makeup, get get into our clothing and wigs or whatever we needed and then we'd be on the set and ready to go it was very very fast but after honestly the experience in hong kong power rangers and all that stuff it wasn't we were used to that we were mm -hmm. used to you know and changing things um, on the spot if 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 the director came in and took a look at the rehearsal and said well you know i like that i like that change that do this it was very very easy to switch it up and, and change things around there were times when we had some bigger fights like on graduation day and um the big fights with faith that that jeff and i might go in on the weekend and uh while the set was being built we'd go in there and do a little rehearsal and then we'd be then we'd do a walkthrough with the guys when they came in. So sometimes, occasionally, Jeff and I would have time to prep it ahead of time. And then other times it was just we would do it right before we were ready to shoot, just depending on the length of the scene and the action required. So it just it really, you know, depending on, like I said, the, the, the length of the scene and what was needed for, for that day. But I mean, you know, as you're going along in television, you're 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 shooting one show as you're prepping the next. So even though we were working on one show, we were also trying to prep for the show that was coming next, as in hiring the guys and, you know, looking at the sets and locations and and figuring out what we needed and action and stuff like that. You know, so you were really it was like a seven day work week. <laughs> And, and and still long seasons uh, at uh, at that time these twenty plus seasons of hour long shows. Yeah, nine months. It was nine months and then three months off. Nine months, three months off, and etc. Et yeah, that was fantastic. You know, yeah. And if actors nowadays complain, oh, I gotta do a full season of nine episodes of something. No, <laughs> grow up. I did. I did Buffy and Power Rangers. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was, it was intense. I mean, seriously, it was, you know, and and also the fact that we were working, it was kind of screwed up your hour. The hours were a little tricky because on Mondays you go in there really, really early. Um, but as you went through the week, you started going into nights. So the, by, by the time you got to Friday, you were working well into Saturday morning. But then you'd be right back at it really, really, really early Monday morning. So you change your body clock around. You got you got to tend to yourself in so as as best you can, I suppose. Uh, that's a challenge. Um, people might not think of that. Um, uh, you got your body to uh, to take care of as well, and uh, to stay sharp requires some uh, some uh, discipline, I suppose. Staying sharp and staying focused, you know. Yeah. If this is okay to ask, then great. And if it's not, then do tell. But in general, what? How much do they allow the uh, stars of that show, Buffy, to? Uh, to participate considering they are the stars or did they the makers of that want to include as much as uh, they could and therefore put them through training and so forth or how, or how was the experience on Buffy in terms of um, doubling versus how, how, how much the stars are visible on screen? Well, it depended on the characters and uh, individual um, experience and athletic abilities and also, you know, on the degree of difficulty of the stunt and things like that, because safety was utmost concern. 
always with any of the actors, so we would never put any of them in a position that they were uncomfortable with. You know, in regards to training, we always work together with them. I trained Sarah very closely in the beginning. As the show kind of progressed, she became very, very busy with her schedule and didn't have time to train. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we inserted Sarah as much as we could. She did as much as she could. And then basically I filled in the brunt of it um, because of my experience as a performer uh, doing martial arts. It's like a logical mix, I suppose, rather than, rather than an extreme mix yeah. where, you, where, you, where you're pushed the wrong way. No, we just tried to blend her in where we gave her moves that she was comfortable with and, um, and that we could insert them with editing into the rest of the action. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that, that depends on, a lot on, you know, unfortunately she just wasn't available to train as much as we would have liked. And that's that. And also, she just she she actually didn't really want to. She didn't want to. She was quite happy for me to fill in and and take you know and do what I did mm-hmm. initially. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, if I remember in the timeline right, uh, that's also an actress that uh, wasn't exclusively exclusively doing TV either. So obviously, you they're tending to a movie career at the same time to a degree, I suppose. So, uh, if we move in away from Buffy a little bit um, in, in, and talking stun, stunts and its organization and recognition or lack of recognition uh, you know may, maybe it's a big question but I'm going to ask it anyway uh, in terms of recognizing stunts and how it, how the associations are, are organized are, are we are we today in 2018 on the path of stunt men and women being more recognized taken seriously and all of that but uh, what what's your personal take and vision in order to take you know, the professionalism and craft of stunts further than, than we are uh, currently. I actually don't think that, that, that we've really made that much progress. Jack Gill has been, um, for the last 25 years, petitioning to the Academy to give the stunt coordinators a category of their own for Oscars. And uh, so far, we just keep getting the same answers, you know, and... Red Bull, you know, sponsored the Taurus Awards, which was a wonderful thing that they did. And um, we've been having the Taurus Awards every year for stunt performers. And then the Screen Actors Guild, um, you know, started to give a SAG SAG Award to a stunt ensemble. You know, after Buffy, you know, stunt performers started getting Emmys for shows as well. Um, So really it's the Academy that needs to follow up and do the right thing and recognize coordinators for for their hard work because look it's not just a matter of performers going out there and jumping onto a motorbike and riding it and crashing it Mm -hmm. there's so much work and design you know the technical details of of creating these action scenes massive scenes on a huge scale and many stunt coordinators direct they direct second unit. Mm-hmm. They do not get a, a single piece of credit for it. Um, and they've been doing that for years and years and years. I, I, you know, I'm very much behind Jack Gill and all everybody that's trying to push for um, some recognition within the academy to include us because we're, you know, this our department is, aside from casting, we're, we're, I mean, everybody else is sitting at that table but us. 
and you look at the films, the amount of films that have action in them, um, even when you look at the Oscars and you look at the the reels where they, they show on the screen behind them, it's one stunt after another. Mm-hmm. And like I say, this is not just the performers. We're talking about the the actual creation and design and, you know, and, you know, just simply keeping all the entire crew and cast safe. It's an awful lot of work that goes in uh, from the coordinators and performers. So it's really, I think, that um, the, the Academy should step up to the plate now. It's it's really not a modern way of thinking to neglect that in 2018. You would hope that after so many years of uh, physical action and even today when it's all, it's all blended with special effects too, that but by now that would have happened. That recognition would have happened in a much more widespread way because if technical awards can be given out during the Academy Awards, and this is just my simplified way of saying it, then for, for costumes and cinematography and art direction and whatever... Yeah. Then it's a logical given. You know, when you talk about it, you'd feel rather foolish not to include that as an, uh, uh, you know, as an award, even if one award only. I mean, you don't need to go to town and go and go five categories. But I mean, they keep they keep telling us that, oh, we we can't have we've got enough categories. We can't have a category. We, you know, we, we're already the time slots, you know, on the on the show or for it's like we're like we're not asking, we're not asking to be televised. We don't have to be part of that. That's not what we're asking for. We just want to be included. They even do that with um, the Emmys or Golden Globes, like a, a certain selection of awards on, are from a non-televised ceremony. And that's that, that's recognition. Right. So it kind of begs the question what the real answer, what the real, why are they really suppressing this? And that's, you know, in my mind, it has more to do with we don't want to give stunt coordinators the power recognition means that their coordinators names will be out there and their work will be out there that the the, the people like as if they're thinking that this is that we should remain anonymous that perhaps you know maybe certain actors and directors would be uh, you know upset at um the audiences knowing that they had doubles but i mean come on this is 2018 it's like the curtain has been lifted ages ago in terms of what goes on in a movie set people know <laughs> it's not it's it, it, that's just that's old-fashioned exactly you know? i mean even they, they've been doing that in hong kong for 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 ages a separate category for action and action design and they and they never had any qualms in terms of crediting and the rules were very clear that you usually had a story director and on an action film you brought in the action team when action was concerned and that person ran the set for those stretches mm-hmm. and no one bat you know batting an eyelid in terms of well this will hurt the egos of, <laughs> of actors yeah. or whatever no it's well uh, one can always hope that just keep at it, I suppose, but uh, because it, it, it's it's deserved, and it's um, you know if certain big awards can neatly and comfortably recognize stunts and all that goes into them, then why why is the Academy afraid of it? I, I have an idea: shave down the best picture category from like ten to five movies or whatever it is now, and then you have your space, <laughs> right? What do you think? How do you think that we sh- you sh- we should go about this? And do you have any? I mean, I I, I just think it's 
the the way you talk about it is is and the way it's probably presented to the persons you have to um talk to to get this done it, you it's pure logic man it's you're the life's blood of the industry just like so many aspects of behind the scenes and in front of the camera represents being the life's blood of the industry too so to exclude it's almost admitting that that no we did that ourselves Right. It's such almost, uh, you know, la, 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 we can't hear you. We're going to ignore this. And for what reason? Where's the danger in acknowledging that? Yes, Tom Cruise does some of his own stunts, but he's not the stunt men's association through and through. Like there's people that work with Tom Cruise and does things with Tom Cruise and plan things. So I, I, I don't know why they keep uh, holding on to uh, to, the, to to this uh, curtain in front of uh, the behind the scenes uh, making offs and stuff. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Talking of uh, associations and uh, the United Stunt Women's Association in uh, in particular, and, and as self-explanatory as it might be, uh, is that a, a way of gathering a talent pool under one banner, so to say, but also to provide support and protect the talent pool uh, ethically and professionally? So um, is there a neat way to summarize the, what uh, the USA, if you will, um, does? Well, USA is a group of, you know, uh, it basically is 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 a group of women that, that are there to support and help one another, and um, uh, advertise themselves in a professional manner and as a professional association, so that if somebody's looking for a professional, they've got a place, a source that they can go to to contact one of the girls and look over their stuff. I mean, nowadays you've got so many different resources that you can. There are other many other groups, and and nowadays we have um, action biz and and these kind of things that you can sign up to, which are online. Um, uh, what do you call them? Sort of directories. Um, so there are other avenues to go, but back in the day, it was a small pool of um, groups that opened up men's groups and a couple of girls groups, actually three girls groups. I think we have now, but it was just um, a way of the girls to have meetings every month and talk to each other, connect with with each other, and try to put our heads together and how to um, get work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for you know basically and i've always been a member actually i just met up with some of the girls yesterday to say bye bye so some of them i hadn't seen in a very long time so that's what that is you know it's not a union or anything like that some people think that these groups are unions of sorts but they're not we're all part of the screen actors guild in 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 terms of um current going on say in 2018 uh, what kind of um projects and uh, priorities make sense for you personally to pursue i mean are you do do you want to pursue more behind the scenes work or what's this sort of current state of mind things change slightly as you grow older you know and i've had a very long career and very lucky to have done some of the things i've done and stuff like that but about five years ago i i got certified as a trainer and i went into that business for a while um working in an MM, mma gym uh, big john mccarthy's mm-hmm. and then when it closed down i you know did a bit more training for a bit but i have ended that business now and i'm actually starting a brand new thing right on and yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Okay. So now what I'm doing is I'm getting ready to head to Georgia and I'm opening a coffee shop with my partners, Whoa, my business. Really? Partners. 
Yeah. Yeah, we're opening a coffee shop in Atlanta and I'm so excited about it because I love, you know, chatting with people and and one of the things about training people, although I absolutely really enjoyed the time with my clients that I had one-on-one, I I found it kind of isolating. Mm Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean, because I'd just go go into the gym, I'd be with my client and, and then my next client, and then I'd go home. And I didn't really, I just wasn't very happy. So I started looking for new things, and, and this opportunity came up with me to join um, up with this um, my friends. And I, so basically, the coffee shop is going to be in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and we should have a soft opening around the second week of April. Right on, like, yeah, what a, what a, you know, it's part of your unwritten chapters of life, and who could foresee this, but uh, you're heading into it with, you know, positivity and, uh, and enthusiasm, and uh just demonstrating that uh, there's uh, there's always new creative chapters and challenges to to be opened up and here's another yeah you know i mean i i love working in film but you know it's like at a point you know the offers start to lessen and and i can completely understand that and so you do know i can't depend on 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 that anymore as much as i love it you know but really really excited about this and i want i hope to um build some type of a community around the shop you know and have writers and artists and maybe people from the stump community come and have talks and show their work and this kind of thing and and pet adoptions and that kind of thing and just make it a very very active shop Mm -hmm. yeah that's gathering past experiences and uh and passions uh, into one new thing, which is uh, very cool to hear. So it's not like you're closing uh, closing shop, so to say, on your entire past or anything. Like everything feeds uh, feeds into the current. And absolutely, and you know what? I'm still training. I, I haven't stopped training at all. So you never know. I mean, it, uh, I, it's, I'm not saying that I'm not going to work on another project or fight anymore because I don't know. I might. It just has to be the right thing. We'll see because <laughs> i'm still doing it <laughs> and i can't thank you enough sophia for for spending some time with uh, me and the listeners across these episodes because it, it's it's really acknowledging and confirming how many chapters and legs there is present within one's professional and uh, personal life and uh, and there is indeed as you've told us cause for optimism even in one chapter feels like a closure even if you still keep it a little bit open, but you you also de- you also clearly demonstrated, and I, I do admire that that you never really sat around idly waiting for a chance. You know, we we go back to the original two hundred pound bus trip and all the yeah. all the initiatives that that uh, triggered all all that happened. You so that trip has miles on it in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a really fantastic trip and and even the last bus trip that i did around america and i hope to do many many more um because i i love that side of of i just i don't know i just really like enjoy traveling around and and kind of being a bit of a vagabond sometimes i've got that bit of a bit of a hippie spirit in me somewhere you've been a punk and you've got a hippie spirit in you as I, well. I know it's kind of <laughs> I don't know it's kind of a mixture and and you know and as far as it goes for you know doors closing and others opening I mean you know you it's up to you what you try to initiate just you know if you want 
to create change and you want things to to happen you have to initiate action because honestly things just generally do not fall on your lap unless you know you're a golden child and the son of so and so or the daughter of so and so and it just doesn't happen that way you got to make things happen and and uh, create create it yourself excellent well 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 i think that's uh, something uh, listeners will certainly take away from from this chat so i'd like to thank you very much for for uh, for sharing that and uh, sitting down with me uh, two uh, weekends in a row even so for for taking the time i'm deeply deeply grateful you're more than welcome kenneth it's lovely talking to you So that is it and what a wonderful time I had talking to Sophia Crawford and sort of soaking in the inspiration her creativity and driven nature really represents. Uh, it's it's good fuel uh, as a person to sort of soak, soak in and take in. Um, I mean to put these interviews together that's inspiring too is hard work and uh, it results in me getting a chance to talk to people like this and walking away satisfied with my own work but also inspired to move forward in a in a different way and be more determined and uh, driven so that's um you know it's very rewarding when all is said and done i hope you enjoy and let me know what you thought of um the sophia crawford interview and if you have any other suggestions as i said do uh, do hit me up and uh, we'll see what we can um can come up with but in the meantime for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com all social media links are available on site or in the show post that accompanies this episode and uh, that is pretty much it my name is kennedy and this was the sophia crawford interview i hope you enjoyed take care and bye bye Kong cinema fan and uh, proud nerd to a degree and one thing that irks me is the fact that god I wish some things were more documented I wish we knew more things about certain filmmakers and the experiences people had with certain filmmakers and one such is uh, well he's credited under various names uh, but uh, your your director of um, uh, the Big Deal and Mission of Justice and Angel Terminators 2. Uh, I know him more as uh, Wong Jan Young or, or Tommy Wong, the director, or Tony Liu even <laughs> in certain places. You know, you work with him multiple times and I kind of half assume that you didn't just work with his action team, but you got to collaborate with him as as the filmmaker. So I, I think it's a shame that no one really ha- has any soundbite in terms of what it was like working with someone who was so apt at crafting the girls with guns genre. So, so what was Tommy or Tony like, if you have any spontaneous memory of him uh, working, for instance, on The Big Deal? i tell you, though, for me, it was visual because he didn't speak very much English. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I couldn't really communicate with him in, in the sense that I could sit down and have a chat with him. Very few people I could actually sit down and have a chat with because, they, unfortunately, you know, I couldn't speak very good Cantonese or Mandarin. And I wish I could have, but I really only spoke a few words. And so my, my conversations with, with, with people were limited. But visually, you know, he was <laughs> he was really um, a very passionate you know, he, I say was, but he's a very passionate man, you know, and absolutely loved his craft and always smiling, you know, as, and I don't know. I mean, I just I can't say that I got a really good sense of him because I, I wasn't able to communicate with him in the way that you and I are right now. Do you know what I mean? Sure, um, sure. Everything that he anytime he talked to me was through a translator and that kind of thing or just go here or do that and a few choice words that he could see speaking English. But it was sort of just nice to see him on various movies that were all, they were similar, they had similar costs, but they were all very, very solid, even if they were low budget. And and, and now was connect back to the big deal as, as this uh, confirmation that he and the likes of you and Moon Lee and Yukari and Sibel, who they could, if they gave themselves a chance or were given a chance. And uh, I, I attribute that to you know, makers taking the chance and running with it very well. And clear, clearly he was able to transition into comedy and then communicate even visually what Absolutely. was needed, even even to the non-Cantonese speakers, including you. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I still got it. You know, I still understood what he wanted um, quite clearly. But I was just saying, like, the depth of the conversation. Mm-hmm, for sure. I don't, I don't know his character too well because, I, I mean, I just unfortunately couldn't communicate with him in that way but he was fun nonetheless you know i was able to to understand what he wanted one of those un- un- undocumented directors in a way that also represents a bit of a life's blood to to that industry because um when you mm-hmm. when, when you crank it out in quality across uh, across the board in several movies even several per year that's always uh, that's always admirable and uh, yeah you you were yeah. a part of, you were certainly a part of that uh, too. 